And if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to uh, Colossians chapter 4. We've been going through a series on Colossians, and now we've entered to our summer series on prayer. And uh, it's kind of crazy because uh, three or four weeks ago, Renee and I went to go see David Gray in concert. Uh, Have any of y'all seen David Gray? Does anybody know who David Gray is? One, two, three people. All right. David needs help. Um, so, you know, we've been looking forward to this uh, concert. She'd gotten the tickets for, uh, for a Christmas gift for me. And so we go to the Ryman and we walk up and the ladies are there in their beautiful red coats and their hair that's been sprayed to a cone. If you've ever seen those ladies there, they've been there since the Ryman was built. And um, so they have a lot of history. So we walk up and we give them our tickets and the lady looks at me and she literally looks at me and she goes, uh, that's going to be an extra $20. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, we are putting an additional $10 per ticket charge on tonight's show. And so for you and your wife, it's an additional $20. And so she had a stack of 20s in her hand and everybody was paying her. And I thought, okay, this is strange. But I wanted to see David Gray, and so I gave her $20 and started walking. She stopped me, and she goes, yeah, and now you need to sing uh, your favorite David Gray song. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, no. She goes, tonight we have decided at the Ryman that we're only going to let people in that are truly devoted to David Gray's music. So let's hear it. And I'm looking around, and what would you have sung? Well, you don't know. What? All right. All right. Okay, and so, you know, I'm, I'm singing Sail Away, and uh, the whole crowd stops because they think David Gray's in the atrium of the Ryman. She goes, okay, you pass. So I start to go, and she stops me, and she goes, wait, there's one more thing you have to do. You and your wife have to go and see Earl, and Earl was standing over, and he was about 70 years old, and his hair was kind of plastered over to one side, and he had a barber chair in front of him and a pair of clippers. And he says, David Gray's head is shaved, and everyone that comes in the show has to shave their head. Okay, and then I woke up, all right, and it was, that didn't really happen. But, you know, what's remarkable about that is if anybody put anything on us when we walked to a concert, if we gave them our ticket and they expected anything in addition to us than just our ticket, we would say, foul, time out, this isn't right. I paid for my ticket. I get in the show. See, there's where my seat is. And what's remarkable about that is we talk about this prayer series, it's the same thing is true with the gospel. That what Christ has done for us is finished. When Christ went to the cross, when he died for us and then he rose again, it is complete. The work that Christ needed to do to make us acceptable to God was finished on the cross. There is nothing I can add to it, and there's nothing I can take away from it. It is finished. We've been made holy. God has no more words of condemnation for me. None. If I am in Christ, as a matter of fact, when God the Father looks at me, he sees and deals with me as he does with Jesus. Because I stand in the place of Jesus. We are in his place, like we just sang, covered in the blood. It is finished. Now let me tell you what that means. Okay, I'm about to move this, all right? All right, okay. I'm I'm being tutored. And uh, it doesn't mean that 
Jesus plus me coming to church gets me into the show. It doesn't mean that Jesus plus me praying makes me acceptable to God. It doesn't mean that Jesus plus me stop smoking is what, make God, what makes God really on my side or really care for me. He loves me completely because of what Christ did on the cross. Completely. There is nothing I can do that can change the completeness in which God loves me. You've heard that before. But I want you to hear that again tonight because I want to ask this question to you. So why do we pray? What's the big deal here? Why should I adjust my life to be someone who is committed to prayer? You know, last week, we talked about why we pray. We talked about that when we come to this door of prayer, in Revelations it says Jesus, he stands at the door and knocks, and he's talking to the church in Revelation chapter 3. He's talking to us. And he's giving us an invitation that every time I pray, I'm responding to a divine invitation from God to come and be with him. Remarkable, isn't it? Left on my own, I would never pray. But because now the Holy Spirit is at work in me because Jesus finished the work on the cross, he is knocking on the door of my life, inviting me in. And when I step through this door, what do I find on the other side? Last week, we talked about how when I step through that door, I find the one that knows me completely. He knows everything about me. When I step on the other side of that door, I find the one that understands everything that's going on in my life. All the details, and he sees how they fit together. When I step through that door, I find the one that actually knows all things. So when I step through that door, I am stepping through the door into the divine. Remember, we talked about how Jesus and the Holy Spirit are interceding for us constantly. So I'm stepping into the middle of a conversation I'm stepping into the middle of the journey, into the middle of the holy. That's profound. Because we fit. Because what Christ did on the cross, it is finished. I've been made holy now. I belong with the Father. I'm his son. You belong. Beautiful. So how do we do it? How do we come and pray? So let's go to Colossians chapter 4. And uh, we talked last week about why we pray. But let's talk this week about how do I do it. Paul is uh, talking to uh, a community of people that he's never met before. Epaphras had brought him the news that uh, this church was in desperate need of some teaching. There were some false teachers in their midst. And listen to what he says to them as he's coming near the end of this book that he wrote to them. Verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity Let your conversation always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Paul, at the very beginning of this passage, says there are three things that we should do when we come to prayer. Devoted, watchful, and thankful. So I'm going to ask you three questions tonight. And I want you to answer those questions 
whether you write them down or in your heart or however you answer yourself. The first question is, uh, will you show up? The second question is, will you believe? And the third is, will you receive? So let's talk about this. Why does Paul say devoted? I mean, doesn't that sound like an additional admission at the gate after Jesus has finished everything? Okay, Jesus has completed it. You know, you got access now to the inner room, but you better come devoted. Like David Gray, you better sing the songs of Jesus. Is that what that's all about? Well, the word actually in Greek is translated courageous persistence. Courageous persistence. You know, I really wrestled with that this week and asking myself, why do I need courage to come to prayer? What does courage have to do with a prayer life? And you know, it really doesn't have much to do with a prayer life if your prayer life basically consists of, you know, what you learned as a child, now I lay me down to sleep. You know, how's the rest of that go? I even forget it. Pray the Lord, my soul to keep, and something about peanuts at my feet or something like that. Brother Jake, or I don't know, I forget it. If that's consisting of your prayer life, that your prayer life is just an endless list of things that you bring to God, and you're convinced that if you read that list every day, that God is going to be bound to answer your prayer. Or that if prayer is some way that we are supernaturally twisting the arm of God to finagle him to our behavior or to what we desire, if that's your view of prayer, it doesn't take a lot of courage. But let's think of prayer just a little differently. You know, Jesus said that if you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me, you worship me in vain. Matter of fact, the more that we begin to read the Gospels and begin to understand the Bible, a lot of it is about our heart. Almost all of it is about our heart. It's about being loved and loving. So if we are going to take courage, then we have to walk into the land of our heart. And you know, the land of the heart is a really untamed place. It's a place where love is found and fear is found and disappointment and pain and joy. And guess what? It's where Christ is found too. He dwells within us. What happens when I take the courage to look at my heart? One of the things that may happen is that when you peel back the layers and say, I'm willing to look at my heart to enter into this world of prayer, it can be a terrifying proposition that you may look at your heart and realize, I'm not what I thought I was. Or you may realize that, that and we all kind of laugh when we say here at Midtown, you know, the person sitting next to you doesn't have it together nearly as well as they want you to believe that they have it together. But the truth also is you don't have it together nearly as much as you want to believe that you have it together. If we peel back the layers and look at our true heart, are we willing to see where we come up short? But the other extreme is just as valuable. What if you look in your heart and you find that you are profoundly beautiful? What if you look in your heart and you realize that I am profoundly loved? Have you ever had somebody that you love? Somebody that when they say words, they either cause you to sail or they cause you to sink? Have you ever had that person uh, say, hey, I love you? Sure, many of us have. But have you ever had that person 
who has the power to destroy or the power to bring you to life say, would you stop just for a minute? And I want you to look me straight in the eyes. No, no, look right here. And, and they stare through your eyes into your very soul and say to you, you have got to hear what I'm about to say. I love you. Have you ever had that experience and you found it is hard to keep looking at them? Because the beauty of that moment is so powerful that it can be terrifying? It's not just my heart that's wrecked that's hard to look at. It's my heart is loved is hard to look at just as well. And prayer, the heart of prayer, is bringing my heart in through the door of the divine. Because one of the things I'm going to find when I look at my heart, because this is the way that God made us, I will find a deep, suffocating, staggering hunger for my need for God. And when we look full on to how hungry we are for the Lord, how nothing will satisfy that hunger except for his presence, that can be a frightening thing. Because when we look at that, we realize I'm looking at something that I can't satisfy on my own. I can't do it. And I don't know about you, but those are terrifying words to me. When I look at my life and I say, well, there's something I can't do. Or try this one out, help. That is a hard word to say. Help. I'm in need. And when I walk through that door, I am saying I am deficient. My heart hungers to come back to the one that made its heart, made this heart, and fill it up to the full. I need help. I can't do that on this side of the door. Let me just say, you know, I I think that some of you, and you let it apply if you want, I think some of you are bored with Christianity. Really. I think some of you would say that you've kind of stopped growing. You're, you're kind of, you're stunted your growth in Christianity for this simple reason, is that your pride will not allow you to come to another person and say, help me. That your pride will not let you go to someone and say, would you mentor me on the journey? of what it means to walk with God. That you've gone as far as you can go on what you know and what you can control. And so why don't we do that? You know, I think a lot of times shame starts to mingle itself into this heart journey of even Christianity. And we start to think that I can't fail. I have to do it right. I have to succeed. I can live up to everybody's expectations. I can make you proud. And deep inside, we live with the fear that I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. So I'm going to project the illusion and live with the shame. And you know what happens when we do that? When we won't allow ourselves to be honest with our own heart, and shame begins to dictate our behavior and what we do. Shame takes what we should love, and it makes us hate it. I was reading this week, uh, Andre Agassi wrote a book uh, called Open kind of a biography of his own life. He says, I play tennis for a living, even though, listen to this. I'll read it again. I play tennis for a living, even though I hate tennis. 
I hate it with a dark and secret passion and always have. Good night. It's made me millions of dollars. It's given me everything that people say I should have, and I hate it with a secret passion. A dark secret passion. Barry Cowan, who played tennis and now writes about it, he comments on this, on this thing that um, Andre said. He says, I know this for myself. It's something you've done since you were six years old, and there's a sense that if you stop giving 100%, you're doomed to failure. And that is unacceptable. Unacceptable. No wonder so many uh, players hate their sport. The surprise is that so few admit it. Isn't it staggering that what I've achieved doesn't satisfy? That what we give our lives to still leaves us empty? And when that happens, what's the question that we ask? What's wrong with me? What got broke inside of me? And when I live in that shame, it drives me away from my heart. It covers up my heart. It causes me to avoid my heart because my, my heart is a wild and dangerous land that will not be tamed. And it will not soften its hungers because those hungers were made by the Lord. So I'll avoid it. I'll cover it up. I'll try to numb it because I can't control it. And then I start to adjust my life. Shame will allow me to adjust my life to only reach for those things that I understand and only stay in the worlds that I can control. Because it's only when I stay on the safe side of this door that I can feel like I can quiet my raging heart. And so we come to the, this, this door of the divine where the Holy One of all creation who says, I know you, and we come and we want to open that door and then we back away from it. Because walking through that door a dangerous thing. A couple of weeks ago, I was at Walmart, and um, I don't know about you, but when I am ready to check out at Walmart or Target or at the bank, I, I am a line uh, poacher, you know? I stand back, and I first survey the territory, and I uh, count how many items I have in my bag in case I qualify for the 15 and under. You know, and so I'm looking and I'm assessing each line based on the speed in which I think that line is going to advance. And I saw one line that had one lady in it. Now, she had three kids in the shopping cart, which usually would throw me off. But I thought, you know, she's already put all her stuff on the counter. Her basket's empty except for the three kids that are fighting each other, which I didn't think would be too great of a distraction. I moved in from my position. So I'm ready. I have no place to go, but getting through that line is paramount. Getting out, what is that about us? I don't know what it is, you know. I got, yeah, just one person, I'm through. And I'll even compare myself to other people in line. I'll, I'll get in line and see somebody else that's getting in line at the same time and start measuring our progress together. <laughs> you ever done that, you know? Oh, they're ahead of me. Come on, lady, move, you know. <laughs> I lead a boring life. I need to find excitement where I can. And so she's check, she's put everything, they run it up, and the lady looks at her, and she gives her them out. And the lady just stands there and just doesn't move. Now, 
I'm allowing her some space because she's got three children in the basket. And I know that a mom can be a numbing thing. And so she's just standing there. And I'm like, come on, lady, go reach for the purse. Do something, you know, let's move it. And uh, finally, these words came out of her mouth. I don't have enough money for that. Okay. So she started reaching in the bags that they'd already bagged and pull stuff out and say, okay, we won't buy that. How much now? Then, okay, I won't take that. And let me tell you the dark thing about this in my own heart. Uh, Do you know what I was feeling when that was happening? Dear God, don't ever let me be in that position. To be in such utter need. To be in a place where other people see your utter need. The shame of that. And yet the gospel takes that and flips it on its ear. And it says, no, don't listen to the world. Don't listen to the world because don't wear your need with shame. Wear your need with anticipation of the one who says, will you have the courage to come to the door? The courage to look at your heart and see how needy it is and come to the divine need meter. See, we live in a world that demands that we have it all together. I know you do. I do too. When you wake up in the morning, your kids don't care what you're struggling with. They just want breakfast. You know, when you go to work, do you think your boss is saying, how's your heart today? No, that's not happening. They're saying, get the job done. When you're in traffic and you need to pray, nobody in the room, nobody in the line is going to say, you know, they can't go through the light right now because they just need a moment of prayer. Let's all just chill out, you know. That's not going to happen. And because of this fast-paced life that we introduce into our world, it kills our heart. And it replaces our heart with these words, just get the job done. C.S. Lewis says, the moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. The first job each morning consists in shoving it all back in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger quieter life come flowing in. Well, it takes courage, but it also takes persistence. So I'll fly through these last points before we come to the table. It's really funny because uh, Jesus, when he was asked about prayer, he said, well, let me tell you about prayer. And he compared God to a crooked judge. You remember this story? That He said, you know, well, prayer is kind of like a widow who needs justice, but the judge that she's going to get it from is crooked, and he doesn't care about justice. And so she keeps coming to him day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out, and he finally gives her what what she wants, not because he gives a flip about justice, but because he's tired of being irritated. That's Jesus. Jesus said that. Deal with it. And that's hard to swallow. He goes, well, let me tell you another one. If you didn't like that God is like the unjust judge, how about God is like the bad friend? That you have somebody that shows up at your house in the middle of the night and you don't have any food, so you go next door to your friend and you bang on the door and you say, hey, get up, I need food. I've got guests. And he says, go away, we're asleep. Are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? We're all sleeping here. 
And that friend finally gets up and gives you what you want, not because he loves you, but because you irritated him. (laughs) What is Jesus talking about there? Well, obviously, Jesus is saying, if that's what a crooked judge and a bad friend is like, what do you think your father is like? But I want you to take it just a little bit deeper. Listen to what Beekner says from wishful thinking. Be persistent, Jesus says. Not one assumes because you have to beat a path to God's door before he'll open it, but because until you beat the path, maybe there's no way to get of getting to your door. Ravish my heart, John Dunn said. But God will not usually ravish. He will only court. What's he talking about there? Could it be possible that God is not saying that your persistence is for me? Your persistence is for you. You know, we read about Daniel, who prayed three times a day. We read about David in the Psalms, who prayed seven times a day. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, pray continually. Could it be that in all this language, God is courting you? He's courting your scared heart to a place of freedom. So here's what I'm going to ask you. Okay, the first question, will you show up? Will you be courageous enough with your heart to give yourself to prayer? And will you do it with persistence? Okay? Uh, No, seriously, I want you to answer that question right now. All right? Now, you may say, yes, Awesome. Here we go. Then I want to ask you, well, when? When are you going to do that? Think about that. When when are you going to do that? I'll give you a second. Okay, you got that? If you said no, I love that. I love that answer. If you said, no, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to come courageously, and I'm not going to come with persistence. Then I ask you this question. Will you answer the question, why will you say no? Okay, second question. He said, come watchful. What does that mean? You know, it really is God's will that you pray. Because God loves it when we pray. I know it's hard to believe, but in Proverbs 15, it says, the prayer of the upright is his delight. The prayer of the upright is his delight. He loves it when we come to him with our need. He delights in that. In Isaiah 65, It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. And this is, I want you to grab this, what he's saying. It's when we walk through the door, the Trinity is going, they're here! Yes! They've shown up. Hey, everybody, attention. It's his delight. Jesus, when he went to the cross, he said he went to the cross for us, that we were his joy. That's what took him to the cross. Is it possible that when we come to the journey of the room of the divine, that we bring pleasure to God? Brennan Manning, who some of you have read, takes these five-day prayer retreats. And uh, I was reading an article, N.T. Wright, some big heavy hitters, you know, asking him, he says, hey, man, what do you get out of these five-day prayer retreats? And Brennan just paused, and he said, what do you mean by that? And Wright said, well, I mean, like, like, what does it do for you to pray for five days? He said, I really don't know how to answer that question. 
He said, then why do you do these five-day retreats? He said, I just figure God likes it when I show up. Imagine living in that reality. That God loves when we show up. Because God loves to give. God is a giver. He's the ultimate giver because he is completely self-satisfied. He's completely secure. And in that security and self-sufficiency, he defines himself as a giver. Really? When I was in youth ministry, um, have any of y'all ever done a garage sale fundraiser? No? All right, y'all got to talk to me. This room with these chairs, I feel like y'all are dead out there. Are, you, are we here? Okay, three of you. All right. If you've never done a garage sale for a youth group, please don't ever do it. Uh, we did one, but we did, we did it big. We said, we asked the whole church to donate stuff to the garage sale. And this is a church of about 1,200 people. And we did it. We started collecting three months before the garage sale. When the garage sale happened, we had to have it in a room that was bigger than this. And we filled it up with stuff. I mean, we're talking furniture, clothes, toys, uh, it, it broke me on garage sales. I can't even walk to a garage sale now without feeling ill, all right? So we're, you know, we're, people are coming through the door. They're flooding through. They're buying stuff. By noon, we had meet, met our financial fundraising mark. And I looked at my buddy uh, who was helping me, one of our volunteers. And seriously, you may find this uh, unbelievable. But I looked at my friend at noon, and the room was still full of stuff. And I said, Chauncey, we what are we going to do with all this stuff? We didn't have any trucks left over. I mean, this was like loads and loads of stuff. And I said, man, I do not want to haul this stuff out of here till midnight tonight. We got to get rid of this stuff. And so we came up with this plan that from noon on, everybody that walked in the door, they were greeted with a smile and a handshake and said, all of it's free. Take as much as you want. No, really, seriously, every, you can have it all. What do you think people said to us? Yeah, what's the catch? It's no way. We had kids, you know, in our youth group, falling around little kids and, like, giving them toys. They'd like, hey, stick this in your pocket. You know, like, <laughs> just because they wouldn't believe that it's free. But once they caught on, bro, the underbelly of our town showed up with trucks. I mean, I don't know what they wanted to do with that whole table of used boxers, but they took them. Oh, I'm gross. All right. So here's my second question to you. Do you really believe? Do you believe that God is a generous father? Do you believe that it pleases him when you come to him in prayer? Do you believe that he wants to reveal his presence to you? Do you believe that when we come to that door and we open that door, that there is a celebration in heaven, that we are delighting our Father because we have taken the time to show up and say, Lord, reveal to me who I am. Reveal to me who you are. Unpack all the garbage from my week and pour your divine presence over me. Do you believe? Take a second, yes or no? If you answer yes, there are journeys with that. If you answer no, I hope you have the courage to go on the journey with that too. And then finally, Paul says, be thankful. Thankful for what? And this is, this is short, and we're about to come to the table. 
I don't know about you, but prayer always, growing up and in the Christian world, always kind of holds this whole kind of shame. Do I do it enough? Do I do it right? You know, is prayer talking or is prayer listening or what? You know, you know, and it just kind of gets muddled down to this place to where I just kind of avoid the topic. And of course, we pray as a family right before we eat, you know. And so we don't know how to answer those questions. And here's what I want to say tonight. Everything that you've brought into this room tonight, everything, every experience you've had, every victory you've had, every failure you've had, every misconception you have about prayer, every correct assumption you have about prayer, everything that you've done right, everything that you've done wrong, all your fears, your weariness, you're overworked, you're underworked, you're out of work, you have too many jobs, whatever relationship you're in, whether it's good or stinks or goes great or no relationship at all, whatever you have brought in this room right now, guess what? There is a divine conspiracy that is happening in this room. And the divine conspiracy is God has set you up He has completely set you up. And whatever you're struggling, Jesus is saying, will you take up your cross and follow me? What does that mean, take up my cross? Will you say, Lord, thank you for everything that's led me to this moment right here in this room to wrestle with these questions? Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for that sin I struggle with. Thank you for the past that I'm ashamed of. Thank you for the victories that you've given me. Thank you for the success. Thank you for the people in my life that I hate. Thank you for the people in my life that I love. Everything. Will you thank the Lord? Because he has set you up. And will you receive that in this moment you have everything you need to step into this journey? Will you? So will you show up? Courage, persistent. Will you believe? And will you receive? Let's pray. Father, we it seems like a uh, a small thing for us to stop and pray right now. But Lord, we know that you're present in this room or Maybe some of us know that. And you're doing something in the hearts in this room. It's a funny thing about our heads, Lord. We so want to understand everything you're doing before we ever yield ourselves to it. But I thank you that you're the author and you're the perfecter of our salvation. We so easily run away from our need of you. We cover that up with so many different things. And we pray, Father, that even right now you'd begin to open our eyes that we can see what your Spirit is doing. Calling us into this beautiful journey of the divine. The courage to live as people that live out of their hearts. That we would not be afraid to receive from a God who's generous. And thank you for everything up to this moment that has led us to this place where we can pause and consider your goodness. Speak and reveal yourself to us, Lord.
even in those broken places, which I think sometimes keeps me from you, and yet, Lord, they are springboards into your presence.